So if you want to turn your Bibles, Matthew chapter 2, I'm going to go through this fairly quickly and just looking at this, this Christmas story together. And uh, you're going to tell kids uh, by this picture on the screen, can you tell some of our young people, do you know who we're going to talk about in this story today? Anybody know who this is? What, is, what does this story tell us? Who this, who's this going to be about? Any, any young person, you can shout this out. Who's this about? The what? Wise men, right? The wise men. We're going to be talking about the wise men today. But here's what's interesting. Uh, you look at this picture and you see three, three guys on the back of a camel. I think it's probably three guys on the back of a camel that we call them wise men. So, but, but here's what's interesting about the wise men. They probably weren't just three people on the back of a camel. Uh, when the wise men traveled to see Jesus, they most likely traveled in, in, a, in a caravan. And the reason we, we think that is because of what it says to us in the book of Matthew. Matthew, starting at the very beginning of chapter 2, and we learn where the wise men came from. So if you grabbed sermon notes this morning, here's your first blank. The question is, where did the wise men come from? And by the way, we're going to talk about why wise men celebrate Christmas. We're going to learn three lessons from them today. But where did the wise men come from? Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 tells us they came from what direction? The east, right. They came from the east. Look at this. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. So there it is. From the east, they came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who was born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. These wise men came from the east. They came from so far east, they don't even know where they came. They're like, we don't, you guys, you set a place, a town, we have no idea what that town is that's so far away. That's right. So there's like, they, they're just from the east. That's how they describe it in, in this passage. But, but here's what we learned from them. From the moment they saw the star, this is when they decided to begin this journey to go see Jesus, right? So they see his, his star. Notice it says in this passage, it's not a star, but it's his star. It's like a Shekinah star, the glory of God that appears, and, and that triggered them to, God is doing something, and we want a journey to go see what, what God is doing. And so they travel uh, from the east, and most likely, we know that they had to go from a very far distance, because by the time they got to Jesus, what you find in Matthew chapter 2 is Jesus is no longer a baby. The Jesus, most likely at this point, is somewhere around toddler age. And the reason we, we gather this from, from the information is because as you read a little further in the story, it says once the wise men get to King Herod, King Herod wants to know where this Jesus is. Not because King Herod cares about Jesus, but because King Herod sees Jesus as a threat. And so in verse 7 it says, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from, from, the, from them the exact time the star had appeared. So he, he's like, he realizes they've come from a far distance, and so it wasn't like they just got there from yesterday, right? In order for them to travel that far, he wants to now go back and find out when the star appeared so he knows about the age Jesus might be in order so he, he can go hunt Jesus. In fact, in verse 16 it says, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the, the wise men, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the baby, the, uh, the boys in, in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi or the wise men. So here's what Herod says. Let's go back and look when this star came. And, and what we learn based on what Herod discovers is that these wise men would have traveled very far uh, in order to, uh, to get to where Jesus was. And so that's why Herod all of a sudden has this threat uh, of Jesus. And he decides, you know, any kid that's over the age uh, or two and under, you know, Jesus most likely is probably around the age of one. So by the time the Magi saw the star, 
and then started to make this journey, it would have taken months, most likely traveled several hundred miles. And, and they would have most likely done it in a larger caravan because during Jesus' day, just to travel with a couple of people would have been incredibly unsafe, especially when you're traveling with things like gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I mean, the minute someone finds out on that road that you've got a lot of wealth that you're going with and you're just going with a couple of people, there's a a bounty on your head. People have been pursuing you. And so these wise men most likely would have traveled in a large caravan. So the story probably would have gone like this. They saw the star and immediately they announced to people around them, if anyone wants to join us on this journey, and they made preparations and then they started the journey. And by the time they finally got to where they were going, Jesus would have been well over a, a year in age. And so Herod he, he knows this, and, and he's now threatened by this, and he comes into to Bethlehem in order to find Jesus, because his intentions to, against Jesus are, are ill-intented. But, but here's what I want us to learn about these wise men, and this is the very end of point number one for you, is that the, the wise men think Jesus is worth the cost. You think about how far the wise men had to go just to be near Jesus. It took them several months, if not more than a year, uh, to get to Christ in order to meet him. And for us today, I think think it's a beautiful lesson to think about the extent that you're willing to go in order to worship Jesus. Now, I'm not a a pastor yesterday, and I've, I've heard every excuse under the sun. It's too cold. It's too hot. I'm too tired. You know, there's all these different things that we can just put before our comforts before just worshiping Christ. And, and here you have in this story, these wise men that were willing to travel, put everything on pause in their life just to go on this journey for the opportunity to possibly meet Christ. I mean, they had no idea when they got there, whether or not it, would, it could necessarily transpire, but they knew God was doing something and they wanted to be a part of it. And the extent that they were willing to go in order to worship Jesus, it would have been incredibly inconvenient. But for them, it was worth the cost. They were willing to take the journey. Point number two in your notes, and ask this question, where did they go? When ultimately they ended up with, uh, with Jesus, but immediately that's not where they went. Well, we find in, in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, when they started to make this journey, they, they went to King Herod. And the next question in your notes, that's the answer, is where did they go? They went to King Herod. And we look at that story, we could ask the question, why in the world would you go to King Herod? King Herod hated Jesus. That makes no sense. Why would you want to go somewhere to, to an individual that hated Jesus that was going to hunt Jesus and ultimately had ill intent towards Jesus, why would they go to King Herod? And the answer is very simple. The wise men knew that they were looking for royalty. And seeing the star, it it only made sense to go to the place where royalty lived to ask the question, where is Jesus? But what's incredible is that upon arrival to Herod's palace or castle, they discover that Jesus isn't there. Rather, Jesus is a different kind of king. Rather than to be born in a palace with a king, Jesus chose to be born in a manger with animals. Rather than uh, to to go before the religious leaders, Jesus was born to a a young lady. Uh, Rather than be born among the wealthy, Jesus was born in, in poverty. Rather than announce his arrival to the elite, Jesus announced his arrival to the shepherds. 
In fact, in Luke chapter 2, if you were to read the, the Christmas story in, in the Gospel of Luke, the, the angels tell the shepherds something very interesting in, in Luke chapter 2. They, they tell the, the, the angels announced to the shepherds, uh, go look for Jesus in Bethlehem. You will find him wrapped in swaddling clothes. You know, what's interesting about swaddling clothes, um, in, in Jesus' day, it was common when people would travel, like Joseph and Mary, when they were, were traveling to, to Bethlehem for the census uh, during the time that, the, uh, that uh, Caesar wanted to count the people uh, for tax purposes. They would have typically walked with what, what's referenced as swaddling clothes. It would have been a strip of cloth. They would often wrap it around their waist like it was a belt. They would use it for all sorts of things when they traveled. One could be uh, if someone got an injury or, or if someone passed away, you could mummify a body, you could wrap a body in this swaddling strip of cloth. But, but for the, the shepherds, what was interesting was swaddling cloth for them. They would, uh, particularly where Jesus was born, most likely these shepherds would have been in charge of lambs that were used for temple sacrifice. It was their responsibility to keep those lambs pure, spotless, without blemish, no injury. And so when a lamb was born in order to protect it, they would carry it around in a swaddling cloth. They would wrap it up to preserve it, protect it, to keep it from blemish and injury. They didn't want it to fall and get hurt because it couldn't be used for temple sacrifice. And, and so for the shepherds to walk into a manger to see Jesus wrapped in swaddling cloth would have been incredibly symbolic. Here is the lamb coming to give its life. It would have been a very unique way to identify Jesus that would have connected to those shepherds in an interesting concept as it, as it would reflect the idea of a lamb being sacrificed for, for the temple. But rather than go to King Herod and discover Jesus, what they find is Jesus is a different kind of king. That Jesus was one to get in the, grim, the, the grit and, the, and the, the regular way of life. And so lesson number two for you is this. Jesus is a, a humble king. Jesus relates to you and to me. Could you imagine if he, if he was born in the, with the elite, born with the wealthy, born with the, among the religious leaders? People would have seen that as a, a Jesus who was distant, a Jesus for them, not a Jesus for us. But the fact that Jesus was to come in the most humble of circumstances, as a baby in a manger in poverty, just announced among shepherds. You know, think of if you're king of the universe, king of the world, king of all of creation, the way you, if you were in charge of announcing your arrival to this world, what you might have picked. And, and Jesus chooses the most humblest of entrances into this world. Point number three, what did they do when they found Jesus? Well, in Matthew chapter 2, verse 9, we read this last night together. It says this, after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gold and frankincense and myrrh. You know, when they arrived to Jesus, and the Bible very clearly says they worshiped, which is an incredible act if you've ever met a toddler. <laughs> what would it take for you to ever worship a toddler? <laughs> you know, that is, that is the most me-centric, <laughs> you know, that you can be in life. If you've ever seen a toddler fit, you're thinking, man, this kid. <laughs> like, but, but here they are walking into this, this manger where Jesus was found, or who knows what kind of dwelling necessarily Jesus could be in at this point. But, but they, they worship a toddler, <laughs> 
I mean, what that speaks uh, about who Jesus is and the identity uh, that they understand Christ represents. Emmanuel, God with us. And so lesson three in your notes is this. Jesus is worthy of our worship. Jesus is worthy of our worship. Wise men still seek him. And this is what you see in this story. These, these leaders, these would have been elite people from the, the location that they were from. They, they were certainly wealthy people traveling with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And here they are, leaders from the east, journeying all the way west in order to meet this toddler to worship him, speaking volumes to the significance of who Christ is. So why would God tell us this? Let me give you just a, a couple practical ways to relate this to our lives. Uh, one, when the wise men connected to the Lord, when they worship God, God directed their lives. In fact, the very next verse tells us this. And after being warned, the wise men being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Here's what it's saying. When the wise men entered into worship of Christ, um, God started to direct their hearts and lives. When they're willing to bow to Jesus, the Lord is leading them in where to go. Even in moments of difficulty or danger, God is directing their lives. And so it's an encouragement for us you know, in coming to the Lord and seeing the significance of who Jesus is this time of year. When you surrender your life to the Lord, God wants to direct your life in him. But point number two, not everyone at Christmas is connected to Christ. You saw this with with Herod. His intentions for for Jesus were not pure. Herod saw Jesus as a threat. And so rather than worship Jesus, he he desired to kill Jesus. He desired to push Jesus away from his life. And and the same thing could be true with us in in a holiday season like this. Go through all the acts of Christmas and and ignore Christ, the very point of what Christmas should should be about. Here's here's one of the things I, I love about our church. Um, we, we put reverence in the word of God, right? Like you come here next week, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 21 and you come here the week after that, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 22 because we want to learn the word of God. We don't want to be uh, ignorant to the word of God, the truth of God's word and what it means for us. But, but here comes the danger in this. We can mistake our spirituality with simply head knowledge, You can know all kinds of things about God's Word. You can be great at biblical trivia, but still be so far from God. Our our challenge isn't intellectual worship, although we certainly want you to know that God's Word is intended to use your mind. The battle we face is much deeper than just in our heads. It's in our hearts. It's the will of our lives. And we teach you all the biblical truth that's contained in Scripture. That's probably not possible, but we'll spend the rest of our lives learning biblical truth in Scripture, intellectually assenting to the Lord. But we can still be in rebellion in our hearts. And so as much as we want to revere the Word of God and saturate our mind in the truthfulness of of who He is, we also want to make sure it takes that 18-inch journey from our mind to our heart. And that we engage him in worship. That our lives would surrender to Christ with all that we are. You know, this, this morning if I were to present to you a, 
a basketball. You know, I, I could maybe impress you with a basketball for a couple seconds. I could spin it on my finger. I could dribble behind my back or something like that. But can I tell you, a basketball in my hands is worth about as much as a basketball if you bought it off the shelf at Walmart. Um, put a basketball in Michael Jordan's hands, and it's worth millions of dollars. If you were to give me a paintbrush, a paintbrush in my hands, I'm no Bob Ross. It's worth about as much as a paintbrush. But you put it in someone's hands like Da Vinci or Michelangelo or Rembrandt, and it's worth millions of dollars. And guys, I, the same thing's true with your life and mine. My life just given over to me, it, it, it endures as much as I have breath in my lungs. And when I'm done, you, you, you kind of forget about me. But, but put it in God's hands, and it lasts for eternity. Because what we do in Jesus endures forever. And the beauty of this, this gospel story of, uh, in, in the book of Matthew is to remind us, here you have King Herod, and here you have the wise men, and the difference between them is the surrendering of their will. Not just knowing where Jesus is. King Herod knew where Jesus was. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 2, verse 6, that when Herod is told that King Jesus was born, he immediately goes to the Old Testament. He calls on religious leaders and says, let's go to the Old Testament prophecy so we can learn when, how this Jesus is going to arrive, when this Jesus is going to arrive. Like Herod went to the Old Testament to learn about Jesus. But Herod still rejected Jesus. And the same is true for us. We could be here this morning learning all about the knowledge of God, but it still never traveled to our heart. So let me encourage you this Christmas season. And I know if you take time out of your morning to worship the Lord during the Christmas holiday, your heart is to honor Christ. But can I encourage you this year to keep honoring Christ? To not just make it a holiday, but make it about something that you do every day. Because God wants to do a work in you that endures forever. This message has been brought to you by Alpine Bible Church in Lehigh, Utah. If you'd like more information, please visit us online at alpinebible.com.